Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? dog and my husband um but it's still a lot of work like and and so uh and then on top of that I mean I just feel like literally you know what I texted you yesterday and you said you knew the feeling like my brain is hurting me but not in a bad way I don't have a headache like I don't I just was you know telling our couples therapist like I feel like I can literally hear my brain turning and growing and groaning and like working Mm -hmm, i've mm -hmm. never had that feeling before in my life which is weird but like that that feeling of oh i'm doing or knowing that what it was what it was like i'm doing a lot of work you know like my brain is doing a lot of work so ridiculous but that's how i feel but it's all like it, it doesn't feel, you know what it is? I'm used to doing a lot of physical work. Like I'm used to my body doing a lot of work, like whether it's, you know, like the jobs I've had, like even the jobs that I, when I was a therapist, a count, you know, a counselor at, at social services, like I spent a lot of my time like moving cases of Diet Coke and because we were in like a halfway house. So like I did a lot of manual labor and lot and case management and case management is, management is a lot of manual labor, like taking clients to appointments. And like so when using my brain now in this different way, like literally I wish there would have been a camera on me when I was redoing my resume and cover letter specifically for the ad industry because it is like making something out of nothing (laughs) and also using words to like basically you know trick people not trick people but you know get them to think what you want them to think and you think oh well she's you know television writing the thing about that is like you can make up anything like television writing really you can really say and then pigs flew out of his asshole and then people yeah. are like oh that's a weird show but when you're trying to sell yourself to a particular industry with a particular set of skills trying to make your skills meld into the skills they want i was like i couldn't see after a while i was like i don't even know what this like using words like in this space you know space is a big word now right right right. oh my god it's so meta that you are selling yourself to an advertising company (laughs) so meta girl um so the how i understand it is there is somebody affiliated with this that is an advocate of yours a champion of yours and she wants she she wants you in that industry. Well, okay, yes, you are understanding and there's like multiple things here. So she's a she's a screenwriter that I met and she continued on with the master's program, but her big job is her her day job is um she's like a creative director at an ad agency 
in the in the copy department right so she's a big wig and she edits she's like she's the big editor there right at this and i guess they hop around from agency to agency look i don't know how it works but um so she started this new job and she's like i want you to come work and in the copyright she also gets a very large bonus for every person that comes on that she refers which i good look do what you need to do but i think it's like five grand per person that she brings wow. so i that's what i'm led to believe from the website so um uh anyway there's like a um and so she literally gina so i sent her my updated resume and cover letter letter looked great and then she applied me for 30 jobs so then i have to <laughs> wow so which sounds great which is awesome copywriting all different kinds of copywriting but for each of those jobs i have to fill out demographic forms Oh my god. Oh my god. So last night I literally was up after my self tapes, uh, one self tape last night, clicking I am not a veteran. Yes, I am Latina. No, I'm not disabled. Oh, it's all online. I was going to say why don't they have one form? But it's it, if it's yeah. All, yeah. It's like different job number, right? So like oh every job. Oh my god. So then and sign, you have to sign every and, and so I literally was like by the time I went to bed <laughs> my brain i was like what i'm not a veteran i'm not a veteran like that's just what i was like mumbling to myself and um so so but i have to say like you know it's a good skill to build for like i think that thing about we only use five percent of our brain they, they've like debunked that right they've said like that you can't but i'm telling you i my brain just like the grinch's heart grew three sizes that day my brain mm-hmm. is like literally growing three si- i don't know if it's three sizes but it's i can feel my 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 like pathways changing in terms of the skills that i'm using so that's great you know yeah. i don't know i mean it can't be bad. Nothing. The good news is all of this work you're doing can't lead to anything bad. No, it can it's not only criminal. lead to something. Yeah. It's not right, illegal. Right. Which That's is, you good. know, honestly, it's really saying something. I finally started watching Ozark. Oh God. And, uh, I, what strikes me about it is like, Oh, this not, it's not that this could happen to anybody, but you just think about like how ordinary crime it really can be you know and how criminals aren't all in a lair or living in a right it's just it's just moms and dads and 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 people who need who need money and and right who who need to run around and get it right quick yeah and i i don't know i will i'm only one not even the full first season in so there, there may be a lot of stuff that I don't know, but like, it seems to me that this Jason Bateman guy was just a regular guy who got kind of wrapped up in this criminal enterprise. I mean, it can happen. You, I can see like most of my clients that I saw, like were knowingly doing, you know, they were like, oh, I'm going to be a drug dealer and a gang member now. And no, but there were occasionally people that got involved in like scams, you know, financial fraud that you could see how it would start off and 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 case in point miles and i have a friend an older guy friend well, we won't name because this is so illegal was like hey what are you guys doing over christmas break because we're like we're going doing whatever and he's like hey do you want to i shit you not do you if you let me know if you want to make some money driving a camper from here to tijuana 
And I was like, <laughs> what? And I, I, why? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we'll give you like each $5,000 of it. And I said, well, what do you need? To, why do you need the, 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 the camper in Tijuana? And he was like, oh, there's drugs in it. There's marijuana in it. <laughs> and I was like, no. And Miles was like, absolutely not. I'm like, have you met Miles? Are you? But wait, oh, not, not marijuana, I guess. Yeah, marijuana. marijuana. I, don't, but I don't. But it's legal. Why do they have to do that? I don't know. I think it was like a mass quantity or something like that. I don't know. Okay. Like, you're not allowed to like traffic like large amounts of marijuana from different countries to over the border like but so especially mexico like what so i don't know right, if he, right right and we were like miles was like absolutely not i mean miles is a lawyer like what are you talking about <laughs> it's funny it's funny how just one casual yeah aside a reference can really change your whole perspective on somebody you've known for a long time like i thought i've been in that situation before you know, you think you know somebody and then they just casually say like, well, you know, we're swingers or. Yeah. Yeah. You know. so the other, the other, the other day I was meeting with somebody totally. And, and this actually didn't make me think less of him, but it was just like, he's like a total, he looks like a total straight laced guy. If you're going to look at him, you know, white dude, thirties, balding, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I met him like the first time I, he was talking and he was like, oh yeah. The first time we met, we did Molly. And I was like, wait, what? At first, I thought Tina. That's crystal meth, and I thought, but that wasn't that. It's Molly is a, whatever HBM ecstasy. Oh, ecstasy, whatever MDMA, MDMA, mm-hmm. Molly, and I was like, what? I it was so weird. And we're like old people. What is happening? And sitting yeah. in a cafe, and you're talking about Molly. I don't know. I just, it's it, it totally rocked my world. Which is, I think, why I like to write too, is because I do like to write those things in where you're like, wait, what? You know, Mm -hmm. like, like Mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. I have to say just, just the thought of learning something like that about somebody that I know is scary to me. And it it just made me remember that I, after you mentioned season two of cheer, I started watching it and I forgotten about the whole thing about that guy, Jerry Harris, and it was so heartbreaking to me when that happened. Not that it's worse or better if the person is well known. It's just, it, you know, he, he seemed like a person who had such a hard life. And it seemed like he was finally getting some, you know, something that he really deserved. And then to learn. And of course, I understand that when. I hurt that hurt people hurt people and that he was probably doing this because this has been done to him. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't, th- these are surprises. I don't care for. I, I yeah. don't care. So, I just, right. Not that I wanted it to stand or the rug and like for these kids to go and being abused. That's not it at all. It's just, it's so disheartening. Well, it's, you know? it's, it's so, there is so, um, yeah, it goes, beyond grief it's like goes beyond disappointment it's like grief and it's also um I think for me anyway and I don't know about for you recreates the feeling of which is what I felt all the time with my parents which is oh I know these people I can trust these people oh my god I'm not safe around these people that okay thank you that's exactly what it is I have that experience in Los Angeles 40 times a day 
Right, we're like, right, I, right. I, I, I want to like someone and then they'll say some fucking shit and you're like, okay, well, this is, you're a psychopath. Okay, right. Like I'm talking to this, there's like, I meet them all the time at co-working because, you know, co-working attracts like everybody. You just have to have money to, to have an office here. It's not like they, you know, vet people. And right. so I'll be having a conversation with someone who seems relatively normal and then they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I was like. I really admire this um, Japanese porn star that like really knew what she wanted in life. And and it's not that there's anything wrong with being a Japanese porn star. It's that this guy like casually dropping, you know, and then talking yeah. about the kind of porn she does in a co-working setting. I, 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 yeah. I, I got, I'm like, yeah. dude, I got to go. I, I got to make a fucking resume over here. Like, I don't need to. But it's it's that. And, and with him, it's just I was just more like, oh, you're that you, if you're going to bring this up to a stranger then I'm getting better about like what's safe and not safe. But I do think that when you invest in something like Jerry or the cheer or a parent and then they fucking do some shit, you're like, Oh great. I'm not safe with you. That's what it is. It makes the feeling of, Oh, and, and then because I tend towards misanthropy, I'm like, okay, nobody's safe. You can't trust every, anybody, everybody's out to get you, which is not true either. But it becomes that is my defensive posture that I immediately tack back to. You know, I could go away thinking like, oh, there's goodness in the world, and some people and humans are inherently good, and then boom, something happens, and I feel and and instead of and I don't do the opposite when somebody does something good, I don't say yes, it's you know what I mean. I don't I don't have the same positive connotation that when somebody does something bad. It makes me say everybody's terrible. Well, this is really interesting because I'm having the experience of having to, what is it? So having to have a little more caution with people. Um, I tend to really, really, really love everybody at first. Like really, like I'm like, that person is awesome. But then they start talking crazy shit. And in the past I would have dismissed it and been like, no, I'm just sensitive. Right. Or I'm just, so I'm trying now to be like, no, I was in there when I was in therapy yesterday, I was like, no, no. Like in that moment, I felt like this is not good for me. Mm-hmm. And if I am not going to stay, stand up for myself and take care of myself. Nobody else is. So I have to mix a little more of the caution in with my, um, what can be Pollyanna kind of stuff. I have to be mindful of what my instincts are telling me about somebody because I then will end up, you know, talking about uh, very explicit Japanese porn techniques for half an hour when, and then walk away feeling violated and fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know this, I ha- I know somebody who's exceedingly reserved. Okay. She doesn't, I, I like her, I'm, I, we're friends, but she doesn't tell you anything <laughs> about herself. Right. Like, or it takes a long time and it's just this little snippet. Like, as, as an example, I don't know how old she is. And I bring up my age all the time. And I, and I think she's younger than I am, but somebody recently said, actually, I don't think she's, I think she's more like your age, but that's, but she's never chimed in whenever I've said anything about how old I am. She, she, she won't tell, 
she's she's a mystery and on the one hand i think oh she's just mm, she's just protecting herself be, for the reason that you just said i mean you know she she knows me kind of but it's not like she really right. really knows me some people really wait until some people don't just give out their confidence right to anybody for some people you really and I, you know i guess like good for her I, maybe that's the way to go i don't know i i tend to be more like you not that i love everybody but that i assume i i assume everybody has good intentions and, to, and, and then it's very surprising and sad and shocking to me when they don't like the thing that happened to me last week, this freaking guy. What happened? I was at the, uh, I was picking my son up from tennis and. Oh, where this, I've been, where I've been. Yes. And the, the place has bad vibes. I, I, I don't like the place. Oh, he I mean, like the, the parking place. is annoying, but yeah. The parking is annoying. Anyway, so you're, you're not supposed to wait. It by the curb. The right. parents aren't supposed to wait by the curb in a line for right. their kids to come out, but everybody does. Right. It's just how it goes because there's it's nowhere to how, go. Like you can't. Right. And it's and it's been really icy here. Oh so even, sometimes I will park whatever, but this time I'm thinking, well, it's really icy, and I just don't want him to. And it's not lit up really in the parking lot. I just don't want him to fall. So I'm waiting in line, and the guy in the car behind me honks. And I, I assume he's not honking at me. Why would he be honking at me? I'm just, my car is just sitting there. He honks again. Honks a third time. And I put my arm out, like, go go around. I just thought maybe he didn't think he could go around me. He's still honking. So I just kind of opened the door a little bit. I look behind me and I'm like, what's the deal? And he's just yelling something. So I think, okay, whatever. I'll just loop around. Pull over, go through the parking lot, turn to come back. And the guy... Uh, I had the right of way and he just zoomed in in front of me made to, so that I had to the slam same on my guy. brakes. The same guy. So I had to slam on my brakes. Then he gets out of the car and walks, uh, walks over to me. Of course I lock my doors and he's like, sh- just screaming obscenities at me. Now, later on, I had the thought, this of course had nothing to do with me. Of course, this is how, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. This is about a person who really wanted to kick the dog and he found the, you know, he found somebody to, to do that with. Um, Absolutely. But I tend to go through my life in kind of this bubble of like, everybody's got, everybody's well-intended and maybe even he was well-intended. It just, it just didn't come across in the, in this experience. And, um, did he and walk away? I said, get the fuck away from me. Get Good. the fuck away from me. Yeah. And by the way, my dog was in the back. My dog who barks at literally every leaf that yeah. goes by just sat there. Oh, my God. Did nothing. I, later, I'm like, Wallace. Wallace, you son of a... This is the what one kind of, time. What kind of wingman are you, you fucker? Anyway, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think those experiences are very, um, particularly about driving and cars, and obviously there's a whole road rage. Like, there's literally a television show about road rage, right? Like, the the true... Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's horrible. It's so triggering. Don't watch it. But, I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. But um, that being said, it's very, to me, what happens to me in that 
situation, I'm sorry that happened to you is yeah. Like what you mentioned on social media, which is feeling completely powerless and like, it's scary. It's out of control. It's, um, traumatizing. It's, I, it's not good. It's not good. And it is also, um, to me, the, the, what the feeling is being ambushed, right? Like you're being ambushed by, by a fucking crazy ass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you didn't do anything wrong see the thing is I get into this thing of like I didn't do anything wrong and again if I can get to the core of it which is as a kid I literally didn't do anything wrong and all this shit rained down upon me this trauma and this and this and this um bullying and this whatever I and it triggers that in me like wait a minute I all I'm trying to do is do good protect my son pick up my thing do this merge into the fucking freeway it doesn't matter I'm and then I get like I, 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 this is not fair like I get really hurt is what it is I get hurt I'm shocked and hurt and then the person, there is no, there is no resolution, right? Like the guy doesn't then call you later and say, I'm so sorry. I acted like a dick or you can't even call the police and be like, this guy acted like a dick. Well, like, they're like, well, did he threaten you? No. Did he, then they're like, yeah. well, fuck yourself. Hey, let me run this by you. it is linked to, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family. Um, I'm for myself looking a little bit more deeply into that. And cause, I, and I'm not saying this is the case for you, but for me, I think that I have said that, I think that I have convinced myself that I'm never doing anything wrong, you know, and, and not to say that I was doing something necessarily wrong in the situation with this guy, although actually, uh, I'll, you know, if I could have crafted it better, I would have paid attention to the flag from really from the first time they honk, which is like, there's something wrong with this person. Do you know what I mean? Like, and yes, like get away. Let me remove Let myself, me remove myself from the which crazy. Is not my instinct. My instinct is to want to fight back. In fact, I remember this time I was at the uh, some concert or something like that with Aaron. It was earlier in our relationship, so I was in my early twenties. And this guy kept whatever he kept stepping <laughs> too close to me, something, and I I pushed him and. Pushed him. You know, he and of course, what did he do? He looked at Aaron like, "Are you gonna?" Aaron's like, "Don't do that to me. I don't want to." You know, and I said, "But it's not fair. He's encroaching on my space. He's like, fair. Who 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 told you the thing? We're gonna be fair. Like it's, you know. So I guess that's the thing is, I sometimes go out in the world thinking like, I'm an A student, and therefore, you know, nothing. I don't. I shouldn't yep. be getting any demerits. And if I get a demerit, it's not my fault." <laughs> Right? <laughs> That's what I, I do that a lot. I have the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I do it where it's like, I, yeah, I have my version of that is like, I'm a nice person. Like I do good. I'm nice. How dare you do bad or do wrong or treat me bad? Yeah. I mean, it, it's all this stuff is so layered. It just and goes so, so far back. Like it takes a lot. Yeah, yeah. So far back. If it took this many years for us to form this way, imagine how long it's going to take us to, to right. form it.
the podcast, we are talking to Carolyn Fordeman. Carolyn has a BFA from the theater school and an MAAE from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Carolyn is a performer and a professor and a lovely, empathic, amazing human. So please enjoy our conversation with Carolyn Horniman. made by Kevin Foster, who was my, um, not student, but I guess so. I directed a workshop that he was in. Um, he's a wonderful man. He ended up moving to Alaska, teaching people how to climb ice mountains and now has a wife and a baby and never left Alaska. So, okay. um, I have that and then we have that weird connection. Cause I lived in Alaska for the summer in between my first and second year of school, which I guess is, is like another theater school story in a way. I forgot about that one. Well, let's start, um, let's start here. So Carolyn Horniman, congratulations. You survived theater school. Thank you. <laughs> you oh, you survived the greatest voice. Yes, you do. You have a great voice and a great mic. You survived it. I know. That's why I bought this very expensive <laughs> mic. So I would get lots of voiceover work that I never get. Well, <laughs> Hey, maybe this is going to be your opening. Maybe this is it. This is it. This is my ticket. This is my ticket. I love podcasts. Yes, <laughs> yes, they're great. Hey, so you survived as a student and you teach at DePaul now. I teach there. I mainly teach the non-majors, which I love, but I have directed a couple of workshop intro type things. But many years ago, I keep putting in proposals and they don't ask me to again. Supposedly next year, maybe I will be, which would be awesome because I have this idea to do a version of Bernhardt Hamlet with all genders and just like, totally gender fluid. I love it. So that's what it is. You have to submit a proposal for a show. Well, that's a whole nother story and probably another (laughs) podcast, but I have submitted proposals, but uh, oddly enough, the couple of times I did direct, I was just asked to, and that I guess we're going backwards to go forwards. Aren't we always, it doesn't have to be linear, which is that amazing, right? Which is that amazing, uh, I think it's David Ball, the book that they made us read called Backwards and Forwards. Do you guys remember this? I don't think I read that. (laughs) (laughs) In HDL, you had to read this book called Backwards and Forwards. Anyway, I used it in my um, master's thesis too, because it's brilliant. But anyway, Backwards and Forwards. Uh, I was in graduate school. Rick Murphy was like kind of very interested in what I was doing. I was doing work on performing new feminisms. And he was like, what the fuck is that? What's going on? Ooh, I curse. You can curse. Oh, no. (laughs) It's not that kind of podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and that's a whole other story because actually Rick Murphy was not my teacher. I had David Abcali. And I went into Rick Murphy's office like, I guess it was probably my senior year to ask him advice about wanting to go to London to study for serious, right? As if I hadn't already been studying for serious, right? right? Cause I wanted to go to Europe and be a, you know, fancy pants, real actor. And he was like, why are you going to do that? Why don't you just stay here and find a company that does European work? So then I was in the European repertory company for 12 years. Oh, really? Oh, that's a, that's a nice long run. Is that, is that company still around? No, that's another story. You have so many stories. We need to have like... I have too many stories. I have too many stories. I don't even know where to start. Okay, well, here's where I'll start. Did you... Just let's get the facts. So you went... You got a BFA at the theater school. Yes. But you got an MFA somewhere? 
Oddly enough, no, I got what is an MAAE, a Master's of Art in Art Education from the Art Institute of Chicago, which is funny because the Goodman started at the Art Institute. So I guess I'm like super Chicago arty farty. Okay, so you did that. Okay, I wanted to get the facts down. That is wild. Yes, facts. Gotta stick with the facts. I love facts. Okay, so then I would like to start. When you were a child, were you always this awesome? Were you just like, fuck it, I'm going to just be cool? I know, I have cool glasses like you oh, too. Look. Ser- there are serial killer glasses that we have, just FYI. <laughs> um, um, I am from a small town down south, and I guess in a way I knew somehow that I wanted to be an actor from like watching old Betty Davis movies with my mom. You are like Betty Davis. And then I... My dad died when I was a sophomore in high school unexpectedly. And I was with my English teacher who taught us Shakespeare. He was fabulous, Mr. Beaver. <laughs> very eccentric man who was probably gay and was not able to be out in our little small town. And Mr. Beaver took us to another small farm town school, bust us all in to see the show that was coming in from Chicago. And it was. From the page to the stage, Shakespeare by Steppenwolf. Oh, a little company called and Steppenwolf. John C. Riley was one of the two, count them, two actors. There was a man and a woman. I wish I knew who she was. I went on deep dive search last night to find out, and I can't find it anywhere on the internet. Was that my computer making a noise? Oh, no. I didn't hear I it. I didn't hear it either. So something... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm sort of in touch with John C. Riley for various weird reasons. So I might ask him. Please ask okay. him. Oh, he's the only one that will know. It's not anywhere on the internet okay. and I don't talk to him. Although he's very close with Rick Murphy, right. oddly enough. They're like buds. But so so anyway, we're in this, you know, school auditorium watching this uh Shakespeare show with John C. Riley and this woman that was also amazing. Uh, I hate that I only know the guy, right? Um, but they had a trunk and they would pull out costumes and props from the trunk and they went through several scenes of Shakespeare. It was, you know, like devised, wonderful, amazing theater, traveling the country like the old frickin' Work Progress Association used to do with the Federal Theater, which we should still have. Thank you very yes, much. We should. And, um, I, you know, had the, pro- I remember holding the program to like, like, who are these people? What did they do? Where did they go to school? Oh, theater school, Paul university. That's where I'm going. Okay. How old, wait, oh, how they, old were you? How old were you? Like 15. Amazing. Maybe 16. Because I looked and it said it was 86. My dad died in 85. I was 15. I was 16. So I then also had, uh, I was the president of the thespians of Lincoln Community High School in Lincoln, Illinois. And I had, we, one of the things that we got was, I forgot what it was. Oh, I wish I remembered. It was a fabulous name. Like it wasn't forensics theater, something the, 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 the title of the magazine you would get was like a high school theater magazine. And you got a free subscription of that for a year. Cause you, you know, you were the, the president of the thespians. And it also of course had a wonderful little spread about the theater school. So then I decided it was either going to be NYU theater school my mom wanted me to go to ISU and kept saying, John Malkovich went there. John Malkovich went there. Because that was only 45 minutes away from me. So she really wanted me to go there. You know, because my dad had just fucking died. And she and I had moved from the country into the town. And 
She wanted me to stay close, but she wasn't going to say that. But I know that now that that's what she wanted. Plus, it was a lot cheaper. And um, also Webster, which is in St. Louis, I think. Mm -hmm. So somehow I got into, I think, ISU and Webster. But I don't remember auditioning. I think I just, like, had to write an essay and say I wanted to go. Tish, I didn't even, I don't think, pursue it because I couldn't afford to go to New York to audition. I only auditioned at the theater school. I auditioned in my junior year. I got in in my junior year. I knew where I was going before my senior year of high school. That's awesome. My brother drove me there and his, he had this old convertible. I remember driving down Lakeshore Drive with my brother. It's my brother who now has cancer. And he took me to this audition. I don't know where he went or what he did with his big, long, old, like 67, you know, <laughs> muscle car that he had. But I went in and I did the audition and I did the voice and I did the weird movement and I did my two monologues. And I don't remember exactly who was there. I think it was maybe Phyllis, Jim Ostelov. Maybe it was this Carol Delk person who was a movement teacher who then I never really had. But anyway, yeah, I got I got in. I remember getting the letter. I remember standing on my stairs in my house in Lincoln, Illinois, because then, you know, you got an actual yeah. letter in the mail. There's no emails or anything. And I was standing on the stairs as my mom stood at the foot of the stairs and opening it and being like, <laughs> and then she's like, well, you know, we'll figure it out, oh. I guess. Wait, time out for one second. Do you think that kids think about us opening letters the way that we think about people opening scrolls? <laughs> or like Maybe. telegrams? Yeah, right. I have to ex- I have to explain to my students what snail mail is because at the end of every quarter I send everyone a little card, just a little thank you card. I've been doing it for like 15, 16 years now, so I can't stop now that I started this tradition and I'll ask them for their snail mail and they'll be like, "What's that?" <laughs> and then I'll have to explain to them what it is and then they'll give it to me and they'll leave off like their zip code or the town or I'm like, "No, you have to put everything." So, there is a um I met someone uh at my co-working space who is like I think 25 and they didn't know to put stamps on letters so he just just magic he was going to the post box and I said oh you're going to the post box I said oh you forgot your stamp he goes what I was like oh my god anyway okay we're doomed (laughs) we're doomed wait and also I have to backtrack about one other thing that John C. Riley thing was that a DePaul production or no it's steppenwolf oh oh steppenwolf right 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 okay oh, so, so steppenwolf you it, it must Jerry. have been one of his first jobs out of school yeah because it was 1986 and i was also looking because there was this amazing picture of him from gardenia i think in the brochure so then not only or in the magazine that i had um i don't think i ever got a brochure in the mail it was this magazine i'm gonna find out the name of it because it was just a cool little magazine that the theater kids theater nerds got and we and I got it for free when I was the president <laughs> of the Thespians. And so there was this wonderful picture. There was some, you know, lovely, glorious lady like grabbing, holding onto his leg or something. It was very dramatic. And this story goes further because then I'm at the theater school. It's my freshman year, and there was the God Squad party. Nobody's really talked about the God Squad, have they? A little, A little bit. bit. Yeah. So the God Squad party. I don't remember who my godparent was. I don't even I must not been very good because I have no idea who it was, but I was at this party. And John C. Riley was there. You must have been levitating. And Don Ilko was there. There was teachers oh, there. Sure. People were smoking and drinking with the teachers. I was like, mind blown. What's going yeah. on? Uh, uh, uh. And, <laughs> and I, so I went up to John C. Riley in the kitchen, leaning up against the kitchen sink with like a beer or something. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> I need to tell you a story about why I'm here. You know, 
So I got to tell him. Oh, I bet you loved that. He's a nice guy, right? I don't remember what he said. I don't remember anything. I was just like, that's so good. That is. And this is before he was famous, right? right? And he might not have even ended up being famous. This is like, I thought he was that famous. Right. From seeing that freaking page to the stage, new person traveling around tiny little rural towns of Illinois. That's amazing. So I would love to know what he thinks of that that show if he has memories of doing it who the other you gotta get him on this podcast i I mean like you'll listen you'll listen to if you listen to some of the podcasts you'll hear my john c riley story it's pretty it's pretty funny i won't tell you have one too okay i've been i went this is why i have bags i went down deep dive last night oh you did so many of yours so tell i i love that a lot of people do that a lot of people when they find the podcast go and you know listen to a bunch of so what was the experience like for you you were walking down memory lane what was it making you feel Oof. I don't know. Now it's making me want to cry. It was, um, you know, I was 17 when I started there. I had no idea what I'd got myself into. And a lot of it, you know, really broke my heart. But I also think it made, you know, like everyone else has said, it made me who I am, made me um, kind of a tough skinned badass. But I'm also a hyper empath and have trauma. And so now I have to deal with, you know, all of that in my old age. But um, I did have experiences there in classes with certain teachers, with certain instructors, certain directors. Um, I lived with five girls in a two bedroom apartment on the corner of Sheffield and Belden. We were all poor. Nobody could afford anything else. I could barely afford to go to showcase. It was only in New York that year. It was when they went back and forth between New York and LA, I guess. Or I don't think we'd even started doing LA. It was only New York. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, the whole casting pool process, the whole cutting process. I mean, obviously I didn't get cut, but that was, you know, traumatic. I've heard other people talk about how they didn't really think about it or this and that. Like Eric Slater was like, I didn't really think about it. And I was like, a lot, I have to say, I hope this doesn't go over the wrong way. A lot of men didn't really think about it. I was going to say, it's just, there's a little bit of, no, yeah. And I know him, I'm friends with him. And it's not their fault. A little bit of privilege there. It's just like, it's just, it's like how a fish doesn't know it's in water. Like you just don't know (laughs) the, yeah, I mean, they just are doing their thin dance, right? And everyone's yeah. dancing around them, yeah. but we sort of had to do our right. own thing. What do you think the tears are about? Like when you, when, is it just raw emotion or is there like tears for young, a, a young version of you or like, it's just a lot? I'm a very teary person. I think, I don't know exactly what it is. I'm in therapy. It's Oh okay. yeah, no, I just, I, I'm the same way. Like I... Um, I get, I get overwhelmed. I get really moved just by everything kind of. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of strange and weird that I'm still there in some weird way. Like I'm an adjunct. I teach the non-majors, but I'm there. And I went back actually, uh, Rick Murphy directed a show that I adapted for the children's theater called the selfish giant and other wild tales, W I L D E all of Oscar Wilde's fairy tales. Oh, what? And Oscar... Terrell Alvin McCraney was in it. Oh, wait, wait, first of all, Oscar Wilde wrote, wrote, fa- he wrote fairy I tales. Didn't know that. And I had actually adapted another 
book that um, somebody else ended up having the rights to. And so Rick was like, well, you know, I know you really wanted to do that one, but if you find something else, I'll still direct it. And so I was like, okay, let's do this. And so I adapted Oscar Wilde's fairy tales. That's and, awesome. Is um, that available for, for me to read? <laughs> I would love to read that. I can find yeah. it somewhere. It might actually Oscar be like Wilde. a hard copy of okay. it and I'd have to like scan well, or something. I don't, don't, know, where don't put yourself I don't know where out, it is. But... That was like 2002, I think. Okay. How cool. But there's also pictures of that. I also found, which I didn't know, the production history of the theater school online. You can yeah. look up pictures for almost everything. Yeah. And they're almost all taken by John um, Bridges, right? John Bridges, which is amazing because these, I don't know why I only have these two printed out of oh, the old whore beautiful. and the sister-in-law from the good person of Sichuan, which actually is like a happy, sad, weird story. Cause I auditioned to be Shante Shwinta, of course, and I was called back for it and I really wanted it. And it was that awful time where they would post yeah. on oh, the sure. outside of the theater school oh, sure. glass doors the casting oh, at like yeah. midnight so we would all oh, go drinking oh. somewhere while we waited well, do you know that they... and we went to the door and not only did i not get it but one of my friends got it of course because how are how is it not going to be your friend there gets it and uh and then i see old whore and sister-in-law and i just i had heels on and i took them off and i started running and i like cut my feet up running in the street and crying and like Old horror. I mean, that's dramatic, that's so right? Traumatic. That's dramatic. You're 18 years old and you're see yes. your name listed under old horror sister-in-law. Old horror. Well, that's another thing, you know, because of my voice and my larger frame, I've always been cast older, even in high school. I have a very traumatic story, actually, being in high school and my, my father dying when we were doing Cheaper by the Dozen, which if you know the story, the dad leaves at the end and doesn't come back because he dies. Yeah. And... Yeah we're doing this play and it was, must've been like the end of the rehearsals right before we opened. And my uh, director, who was one of the English teachers at my high school, I remember being on the phone with her cause I remember exactly where I was standing in my house. And instead of being like really sympathetic about my dad dying, she was talking about how I was the younger of three of the sisters and the girl that got the older sister, which is the part I wanted, who was the daughter of another English teacher who was always getting all the parts I wanted. She uh, didn't have as big of breasts. Mm -hmm. And my uh, English teacher was like, maybe we can, you know, tape you down or something. And I thought, why didn't you just cast me as the older sister? Plus I was wearing this like beautiful old, like forties suit. That was my mom's was vintage suit that I loved. So it was kind of tight and probably did really show my frame. I was 15. And my dad had just died. And this woman's telling me to tape my breasts down. Mm-mm. Oh my god! No, ma'am. So yeah, I always got I always got cast older, and I can see why you went down the road of wanting to do feminist theater. I mean, it sounds like from an early age you were you were made aware of double standards and beauty standards and all that kind of stuff. Nineteen ninety four, I think it was. I had graduated. I was auditioning, and it was when you had to look in like this paper for the auditions, and there was like a line you called. Oh God, I wish I could remember what it was. You had to call this line and stay on hold forever and listen to all the audition notices. And there was an audition for Pump Boys and Dinettes, which I was excited about because I'd seen it when I was younger with my mom, and I, I thought, oh, that's fun. And it literally said, "The men." will be paid and i got a fucking article in the chicago tribune about that you did oh tell, tell did. us about it Wait. you just wrote about so, that. well 
it you know they they're they're like backpedaling about it was like well it's because the musicians are going to get paid and the musicians are men and first of all now i'm thinking back like why do the musicians have to be men and you literally still wrote the men will be paid you didn't write the musicians will be paid so yeah i i don't know how i did it now now it's all kind of a blur i just started calling places and i got a reporter from the tribune to like talk to me and do a whole article about it oh so you're really tenacious that's what i'm getting i'm getting that you get something whether it's a goal or you're trying to write an injustice and you attach yourself to it right i'm an aquarius moon i know this isn't an astrology podcast what's but, your uh, I've learned, what's your sign i've learned in the last couple of years i'm scorpio sun cancer rising thus the tears and then aquarius moon thus the you know righteous justice for all okay i love that i love that so did tons of work after school ended up doing tons of work like in in schools after school programs writing and drama programs and things like that which uh, ended up taking me to you know go back to graduate school and get the maae in education but then that was like a lot of solo performance work i did too with this woman faith wilding who was like look her up she like started woman house it, I think Cal Arts in like the 70s, she has this famous piece where she rocks in a rocking chair and says, I'll, I'll wait till I'm, you know, old enough. I'll wait till I fall in love. I'll wait till I'm married. I'll wait, you know, just incredible woman who taught this class called Performing New Feminisms. She taught one called Body Skin Sensation. I mean, just, and so I was doing all this incredible uh, work, again, looking at myself and being a woman and being an actor and what the trauma that I'd been through. And then my thesis was doing a performance experiment with a bunch of young women from all over Chicago, like high school age women talking about their mothers and feminism and teaching them about feminism. And well, what, okay. So, so uh, a question for you, um, first of all, a, a tidbit I have to share that we had, we spoke with, uh, I think it was, um, Joel Butler, you know, who was a, a stage manager and said that they would come out and walk to tease us when we were waiting for the list to come oh. up. They would pretend that they had news and go like the people who weren't involved. Anyway, I just have to say the whole thing was a setup. Like the whole thing was a mm -hmm. fucking setup. So all, it, it was, was like the Hunger Games. It was. And it was also that in itself was a play, like a theatrical experience of. Yeah. I don't really know how they do it now. It's I'm all sure online. It's, it's all online. Yeah. They send you an I email mean, with your casting. Yeah. Right. But, but I'm just saying, right. like, when I look back, my little corner of the world was walk, 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 look at the list, feel like shit, walk, walk, walk. But there was a whole play happening around us of everyone knew what the fuck was going on. And it was part of the thing to have this sort of, um, yeah, it was a, it was a production. It was a fucking production, a tragedy for most of us. Right. Like, and anyway, it just was interesting to hear the perspective. Like everyone knew what was going on and everyone played a part is what I'm saying is what I get from the theater school. Like it was all back in the day. Anyway, it was all part of a thing. Yeah. And, like, and you get, you get the yeah. idea. It was a working through for some of the faculty who, you know, themselves couldn't realize their professional dreams. And, you know, that makes me so sad. I hope that is really not True. Well, but true. But you know what? That's be. okay. I mean, like, it's not okay, but it's like they, we, a lot of times we talk on this podcast, right, about the psychology of never fixing what you needed to fix in the first place inside of yourself it gets fucking played out all over, everywhere. It
Right. And that, that we are living in a new time of awakening and people being able to talk about their trauma. That was not that time. Yeah. And that was also the time, like I said, where the teachers were coming to parties with us and drinking and, mm-hmm. yeah. and, Fuzzy and boundaries. Uh, somebody else was mentioned, somebody else was mentioning, you know, relationships between faculty and students. I, I only knew a couple of those instances, but yeah, the fact that they happen at all. And yeah, it's yeah, different- yeah. I, I've found that like in my own teaching, like even even in the last couple of years, and I've been doing it for a long time. I just um, I've become so much more transparent. Like I talk about my own mental health issues or what's going on with me or I I check in and check out with them every day. And it's like, what's something beautiful you saw today? What What are you going to do good for yourself when you leave this Zoom class? Whatever, you know, like. So uh, I think that as a culture, we're evolving as facilitators, instructors, teachers. But what, yeah, we were there at a really hard whoa time. I, I was too. for sure. I mean, you were there pretty shortly after that. But also I had some amazing experiences. I loved Betsy Hamilton. I loved John Jenkins. <clears throat> Jim Ostaloff I actually had for two years because I had him second year and fourth year, which nobody did because he randomly taught second year acting one year for some reason and everybody had him for fourth year for what that was called like ensemble or exit or whatever the hell it was called so i had him second and fourth year he actually told me at one point uh heard him i don't know what you're doing why are you an actor you should be a singer and so then i sang in the oh no it was after i sang in this it was rob chambers thesis show baghdad cafe and i sang backstage live for just a couple parts of the show. Just Rob asked me to do this. I don't even remember how that all came about. And, and you know, Jim, being the jazz and music aficionado, called me to his office and was like, what are you doing? You should be a singer. You should be an actor. Was that ever a, 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 fan, a dream of yours, to be a singer? I was in a rock band called Ominous Clam. What a great I did sing a lot. That There was a summer, uh, I wasn't even 21, so I would go, I sang at like the Metro and I wasn't really supposed to be in there. Um, and and uh, Zach Worth and Steve Sell and all these people from my class came to see me. And uh, yeah, I wanted to do that. And I, I would audition for musicals and stuff after I graduated, but just like Marriott, Lincolnshire and all those like fancy places would never hire me and and i would always end up in shows where i sang but they weren't musicals you know um and i also think i have a little bit of trauma around singing i started singing in my church after my dad died i was the song leader in catholic church believe it or not and i would go out the night before and be like smoking and drinking with my friends and then sitting on the altar with like the priests and like like christ has died christ has died. I'm like, what the hell am i doing um, I would sing at funerals. I sang at my mom's second wedding. I sang at my brother's wedding, my sister's wedding, my other brother's. But yeah, I sang. I sang a lot. Uh, I haven't really been singing recently because I, I usually end up crying when I sing. I had a very traumatic um, audition, 2008, I think it was, where I cried when I was singing this song. And the song was about the girl's dad. Mm-hmm. So I cried mm-hmm. a little bit on the high note and the crap. And the casting director, which will remain nameless, called my agent and told them that they thought I had mental problems and needed help. Okay, again, this is something that would never happen today, right? But it wasn't that long ago, 2008. She also said that I was dressed inappropriately. I wore a 40s style suit and a pillbox hat because that was the period of the show. 
How is that inappropriate? Hmm. That's someone who's... And why are you calling my agent? How intrusive to call my agent and tell them that you think I'm... And the, the funny thing about it was I had just gone through a huge breakup and had moved and gotten a new job and all this other stuff was going on, but that had nothing to do with it. And that's nobody's business. And I was moved by the song. And don't you want that's, somebody yeah. that's moved? That's just Being somebody who who is scared of their own emotions. Like, correct. That's all yeah. that is. Yeah. So anyway, I, I digressed because that's like post theater school drama. Yeah, but about auditioning. Okay, so you arrived at the theater school at a tender young age. You seventeen. I was seventeen. Yes. And because I have a November birthday, okay. yeah, seventeen. And you uh, did your whole BFA there. Tell us about some of your show experiences. Well, the one that I was going to talk about was The Good Person of Szechuan, because oddly enough, it's the only one that I have printed pictures of, and I don't even remember when or how I acquired them. I think I got them from John Bridges because he took all these pictures, and that one of me as the sister-in-law, I don't know that that one was like a production photo. I think that was him coming up, and he saw me in this moment and like had to get this shot. So not only was I not Cassie Chante, which I wanted to be, now I'm the, the sister-in-law in the old horror. So I'm like, I'm going to kill this. I had 16 lines between the two characters. My old whore, if you look at that picture, I have a blonde wig. I didn't wear a bra. I have a tube top, a pleather red skirt. I had these hose that had a dragon up the side, so it looked like I had a dragon tattoo on my leg. And high, high red pumps that I think were mine, actually, from when I was in a beauty contest in high school. Anyway, um, and I got these earrings. Oh, my God, I think I found those earrings, too. They were Chinese lanterns, like, that opened up. Ooh. But they were earrings, and they were huge. Oh, cool. And I smoked a cigar. Oh. And after, I don't know if you remember this or if they did this when you were there, but after shows closed, mainly the main stage shows, they had, like, this post-mortem, postpartum, whatever you call it, in the lobby. And yes. everybody would come. Everybody was invited. Oh, yeah. And they would critique the oh, show. Fuck. I probably blacked that right out. While well, you sat there and just no, took it. No. And, but I don't know if it was during that or like after that, I would just be like walking in the halls and all these teachers, some that I had and some that I hadn't yet even had, made a point of coming to tell me how excellent I was in that show. And it was not false. It was not put on. I mean, come on. Those people did not give compliments unless they really no, felt like No, never. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And I was like, yeah, because I freaking killed it because I took it so seriously. I was like, I'm going to make these roles so deep and so real. And if you if, if you look on the production photos, they had this screen and, 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 and people would make shadow play on the screen at the beginning of the show to show like the street life of the poor, the Sichuan and stuff. And I got to ride a bike. And I rode a bike across and you see the shadow of the girl on the bike. And I'm like, I still look at that. And I'm like, that's me. So do you think that's, I love hearing that. That's a great story for me to hear for some reason. It just really warm, but warms my heart. But also it talks about uh, Gina's uh, calling you on being tenacious. But do you think that that sort of set a tone for, um, cause what I'm getting from you is that like you're simultaneously a, a badass a bit of an outsider, never given your chance, never really given the chance to maybe in terms of outside casting, do what you can really do. So then you take what you get and then you fucking kill it. Does that ring a bell? Kind of. I think so. And I think I've always been that way really. And, and that also being in that show, uh, 
Joe Sloak directed it. It was Bertolt Brecht. It really got me thinking about uh, political theater and theater for a social movement and theater for change. And I really believed when I graduated and I started doing work at the European Repertory Company, I believed that doing theater could change the world. You don't think that anymore? Change. <sighs> Sometimes. Yeah. You know, it beats you down pretty hard when you when you work and work and work and work and you have to have three other jobs because you're in a theater company that doesn't pay you any money. And I, I still like the best work of my life was at that place. Um, I was Clytemnestra and Agamemnon for three years. I mean, I, I, you know, yeah, the best work of my life. But uh, what was I going to say? that There's a different, and I think it's good, there's a different culture, a different mindset now students now would never graduate and say, yes, I'm going to be in a school or I'm going to be in a, a theater company for 12 years that never pays me. And I'm going to have three or four jobs. And it was like a kind of almost like a martyr, yeah. poor theater, Jersey Krutowski, poor yeah. theater um, mindset of like, I'm an artist. Well, of course I'm, I'm struggling and I'm poor and I'm, you know, but I'm for the oppressed. And so I must experience that. I, I don't know. Like mm -hmm. it just, uh, mm -hmm. I wonder how much I manifested that. Right. Because I, I would have auditions for TV and film stuff that I would get close to and just not get, or it took me, I was, I think 30 when I finally got in a show at the good men um, or no, wait, I was 30 when I got at APT in Wisconsin. I think I was even older when I got in the show at the good men, but anyway, yeah, you know, eventually I have done shows <laughs> at larger theaters, but I still will say, I mean, people that saw the stuff I did at the European Rep, and I was like, what, 24, 25 when I played Clytemnestra? And it was Stephen Burkhoff's Clytemnestra. So it was like the most rock star freaking, you know, I made my own costume. It was it was all like fishnet, and I just like punched my hands through fishnets to make sleeves and uh, high heels and crazy kabuki makeup. And I stood at the top of this ladder and, and I did at Agamemnon. And I came out at the end with like, Hershey syrup on my hands after I'd killed them. And I was like, I mean, if you saw that SHIT, you were blown away. And you did this that was... for three years? Well, we did it like in a regular oh run. And then it was so popular. It was so popular that we did it on Friday, Saturday nights, like late night. And then we were doing, because we wanted to be a real repertory. So at the time we were doing Agamemnon, Electra, Uncle Vanya, and this oh show called... Uh, 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 I forgot. Were you in all of them or just? Yes. And we would oh also change God. this oh in between. God. This is oh like, God. you remind me. Okay. This is what I think Stephen Davis was talking about when he said he was in four shows at the same yes. time. It was with my company. Yeah, okay. okay. He, uh, he was in, he was in all those shows and, um, yeah. Um, oh that's intense. my God. That's super intense looking at my notes what is that like though of while you're looking at your notes i mean was that draining <laughs> not just the number of shows you did and the physical -ness of oh, it all, draining but, yeah. well also i was yeah i was like a waitress during the day i mean i had a job i had to live and I was a waitress where I could only work lunches because all the shows were at night. So lunches weren't as busy. And if it was really slow at lunch, I mean, so I would find myself every day while I was working, calculating in my head how many tables I had to have, how many tips I had to get just to make enough for that week to pay, pay the rent, you know. And at the time I was living with two British guys. Actually, they're the ones that brought me into the European rep. My, my friend Charlie, Charlie Sherman, who is a, a actor and director, 
in and out of Chicago for years. I met him when I was 18 and I worked at Cafe Aroma, which was down the street from the school. That was my job because I also worked when I was in school. And uh, so when other people were like, we're going to the dead show, you want to come? I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. Not only do I not have money for that, but I got to work all weekend. Right. Um, so anyway, he, he knew that I wanted to do um, the play Caligula. And he called me up one day and he's like, oh, my God, this company is already doing it. Maybe you should audition. And this was right when I got out of school. So I auditioned and I got in the chorus. And like the first week, the girl that was supposed to play Sezonia had gotten a movie and left. And they were like, okay, now you're the lead. And I was like, okay. And that, and that was the company that I ended up being with for 12 years. Mm. But it was exhausting. Yes, it was. Yeah, exhausting. it sounds like I know we did. And we were also all like drinking and smoking and going to the bar every night after the shows. And youth uh, is yeah. a powerful force. I was just thinking the other day, remember when you used to wake up in the morning and no matter what had happened to you the night before, and you're like, okay, well, but anyway, it's time to do it today. I haven't had that feeling in years. I haven't had that like I can even when some even when it's a day I'm super excited about. I don't I don't wake up with this body like readiness that I remember feeling right. in my twenties and thirties. Okay, so look at your notes. What are you, what are some of some of the points that you wanted to get well, to? I also have a showcase um, question. I have a showcase because I'm obsessed yes. since I live in Los Angeles now. I'm obsessed. Oh my even god! Though you guys, I was gonna try to avoid. No, 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 no. I'm obsessed with the idea of the showcase because I made such an ass out of myself at my showcase um, that I and we went to LA. But I know you were in New York, but. Uh, uh, what was that? I'm obsessed with the showcase experience because I think it is really one uh, interesting, but two where DePaul lacked in so many ways to getting people to the showcase. And then after the showcase, yes, this, okay, go ahead. right. This was before stars and all that. So nobody was mm-hmm. collecting money for us. You just had to, you either had the money or you didn't. And so I was able to get enough money to, to buy a, a plane ticket but then I wasn't going to have anywhere to stay. So my friend, Sarah Wilkinson, who was also at the school, but a couple of years behind me, her boyfriend, uh, Daniel Giorgio, who's also been on a lot of TV shows and on, on um, you know, Lincoln Stage and Public Theater, like this dude that went to Juilliard, actually. I stayed in his dorm at Juilliard on the floor because I didn't have money to stay anywhere. Um, I also could only stay for like a couple of days where like other people were like staying the rest of the week or going out and partying and... Uh, I remember having like just enough money to do one of the things people were doing, which was go to a jazz club with frickin' Jim Ostelhoff, which I did. Um, and that was really cool. Um, the other part of that that was uh, kind of messed up was in the in the you know audition class that Jane Alderman, God rest her soul, and I love her dearly and became closer to her uh, probably more after school than during school. But um, in our audition class where you brought, you know, monologues, I had brought this monologue and then she loved it and wanted me to do it and was just like, that's the one you're doing. And then I had this total panic about it and was like, I don't think this is right. I don't think this shows me in a good light. I'm going to pick something else. And I don't remember what my other second or third choice was. I did, I did have something else. And I remember calling her on the phone. I don't know if I called her office or at home. And again, before a cell phone. So I remember the little window I was sitting in my apartment on the corner of Sheffield and Belden on our little phone, talking to Jane Alderman, all nervous because I was going to tell her I'm not doing that one. It's not right for me. And she still talked me into it. And I did this monologue from Roger and Me, the film. Did you see it? The Michael Moore movie about the... The Michael Moore movie. Okay. Roger and Me. What? 
the documentary the about woman. the auto industry i mean how... <laughs> yes and it Wait. was the poor woman the poor white woman who sold rabbits pets or meat right pets or meat. oh god that's what i did wait a minute though i have a feeling wait, you, you a did minute. it really you well you fucking killed that <laughs> so shit. i actually became i probably did but i actually came from where they had tried to to suppress and to change and to mold me into anything but right. this hick girl from southern illinois and then i did that right wow. right and that's what i was i wore my cowboy boots i wore my cowboy boots i think i had my fringe jacket on my long hair and i came out and i was like pets are me <laughs> huh. oh my god mortified mortified and i only got i got like a couple of calls like one was from like um a soap opera and then another one I, I don't remember that was another weird thing like the same thing with the casting call we waited in i was in somebody else's hotel room because remember i didn't have a hotel i was staying on the other side of town in the you know, dorm room of somebody who went to juilliard and so we're in somebody's hotel room waiting for jim osterhoff and whoever else was with us Hi. to come in with like this list it was literally it was like my notes here there was just like tiny pieces of paper with like telling us who got what calls some people were like got nothing got 10 got two got whatever yeah and and my, and mine were not meetings mine were just like these people want you to call them or send your resume it's like they already got my resume everybody got what what um so you know oh my god I, I, wanted to move, I wanted to move to new york i wanted to be a new york fancy actor you know so that was like really devastating too but then i was like well if i don't get that i'm going to be an amazing chicago theater actor and i'm going to show everybody the chicago theater is actually better anyway yeah. I don't re remember, Boz, if I've told this on the podcast before, but remember how I did that thing of I didn't get any meetings. And so then I snuck into oh, I an administrative office at DePaul after showcase and I found a list of all of our names and everybody had gotten, everybody had agencies or agents' names written next to theirs, but not everybody was told, was told that. Yeah. Yeah. So what? So oh podcast then couldn't see my face. <laughs> gaping mouth. What what did you do? Did you tell did you what did you do? I I, I swallowed it and carried no. it around resentfully for, for the next no. twenty years. Yes, ma'am, I did. Um, oh my god. And you know, who knows? Maybe there was an important reason for that. Maybe it was these are shady characters. I I don't know what it would have been, but I I know that I would have wanted to. I feel to so make bad for you that you didn't feel. Yeah, I feel so bad for you that you didn't feel like you could, you know, go further or ask more or I don't know. It probably, that, you know, Carolyn. It probably didn't occur to me. I'm sure it didn't. I, I'm sure the way I thought about it was, well, th this has happened now. It is over. This is the thing that it it, it is forever. Such. I just. I would have never thought that way. I would have never thought to advocate for myself. I mean, I thought to find out that but way you they snuck, were But me. you snuck in there. You thought well enough of yourself to sneak Girl, in there and get I, the goods. You know, whatever. That's that's for me to figure out because I, 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 I that's what, but that's what I did with it. I, I took it, I took, I carried it around like a shame instead of, oh, and by the way, I didn't need to blow anybody up. I just needed to say like, what's the deal? Like what, 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 what happened? happened? Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, I yeah. feel like it's interesting. It is, it is, it is just really now that we have this podcast, we spend a lot of our time being like, 
yeah, what's the deal? Why did that happen? And and what I wonder what John Bridges or somebody like that would say about that. I I'm sure John Bridges, who is a theater school loyalist <laughs> to the end, would say that that I, I that I, I misunderstood. Think he tells the truth. That I think he tells some good no, truth. No, I'm not saying he doesn't no. tell the truth. I'm saying I Listen, and, and Boz and I have said it a thousand times, we understand that we couldn't possibly know all of the factors that went into any decisions right. like casting and stuff like that. And that there are certain things that happened that felt terrible that were for my own good, you know? Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I knew. Yeah, because of, getting back to that whole thing about <laughs> casting, I mean, I'm sure the, the guiding principle in their minds was this is what it's like. You know, you want to move to New York. I mean, Don, we had another person on here who told us living in New York, you, you, you'd you have to go wait in line in the morning at a theater so that you could get your audition yes. later. And if you wanted to have, it had to be a lunchtime thing so you could leave work and those slots were right. gone really early and, and that it was just, no, I had some friends who did get a representation and then moved to New York again, their parents like had money to pay for them to move to New York and they moved to New York. Uh, and they ended up, you know, coming, coming back to, to Chicago because they, they weren't getting stuff and it's super expensive and stressful. And so, I mean, again, yes, there are things that happened that seemed, you know, traumatic and sad, but then I am glad, I guess that they, they happened and that, that then I ended up staying I mean, here. Yeah. Um, and the, another casting story is that I was trying to remember everything I had done and I only have five that I can remember, which is weird because I know there should be six. Uh, and also that at the end of my senior year, when many of us senior women did not believe, you know, again, I was always a feminist. We did not believe we got, um, you know, good casting really the whole two years. And so we created our own show and did it in the courtyard. Oh, what did you did do? What, do you remember? And invited the faculty and people came. Oh, we we created it. It was devised. I mean, there was there was stuff from Jean Vanitali's The Serpent. There was stuff from Sophie Treadwell's Macanal. We had all these easels set up in the courtyard that were empty. But what happened, we, we would walk up and stand in front of the easel as if we were all at a museum. And each one we would look at would open up another scene. We had a lighting designer cool. and a costume designer that also went to the school that were in our grade that, that helped us do it. Um, this is before email or anything. So we were putting posters up all over the school and the teachers were like, what is going on? What is this? And I think literally they were so curious. They could not believe we were doing this, that they all came because they were like, what are they doing? And we did a freaking show uh, you, that showcased. I us. think you started a trend then because a lot of people that we've talked to did after that. I, I bet you guys were the first. I would love it. Oh, yeah, it was 1992, baby. Oh, yeah. And I hope that we did start a trend. And that was before anybody said the word devised. Almost everything I ever did was devised before anybody said that's what it was. Right. <laughs> so so you feel you feel grateful that you stayed in Chicago. I mean, and that's why you got European rep. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. Do you want to get what? the hell out of there? Do you want to go somewhere? I want to move to L.A. I want to move to L.A. I do. I want to try it. I want to live in the sunshine. I want to, my best friend lives there. She works for NPR and lives on Venice Beach. She has a tiny house. I want to go live in her tiny house. Mm. We'll see. It might happen. That sounds good. What 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 are some of the um, what are some of the heartbreaks of shows that you were going for in Chicago that you didn't get? Oh, I don't know. That's so funny. 
because I have I, I guess I've been focused so much on on the the theater school years that kind of oh that's okay well then what about for theater school do you remember a show that you really wanted actually to- I was well the, the one with the good the Shante the the good person of Sichuan but actually the, the funny thing about it too uh, which I have to tell you because I this was my initial like best story that you have to hear before we're done. There was a um, man na- named Stan Boris, who Joe Slowick knew, and he got to be in The Good Person of Sichuan. And this was very controversial because having an outside person, but I think that's what they used to do at the old Goodman. So I think he thought it was okay. But for some reason, you know how they all had all these crazy rules, like you couldn't leave the school to go audition for something else and all that. They they also didn't want, you know, outside artists, you know, in our shows because they're not being trained in the same methodology or whatever. So this Stan Boris, who I found in the Depalia just now, uh, the the way it was advertised, it said, you know, acclaimed rock star, Polish rock star, Stan Boris. And so he was, he was a Polish rock star that was in our show and would do the songs, the you know, the Brechtian songs. So every time there was a Brechtian song, he would come, he would be, I remember one time of him on stage right, I can see it so clearly, him in this spotlight and some like long leather thing. And he had like long hair and a beard, like, you know, Jesus. And <laughs> he's like singing the, the, the Brechtian song. Um, Joe Sloak, like getting so excited in rehearsals, he punched the wall, punched like, <laughs> holes in the wall and would do like headstands and you know i mean just seriously the incredible like the, the incredible feeling of even though i had yeah because he was trained in grotowski and he knew how to do all that stuff and was doing it until like very late in his life but the just the feeling of being in that large movement room working on that play and like you said like i'm you know just told myself in my head okay if i'm not chante that i'm gonna make this the best thing I've ever done. I just, I still felt very privileged that I was in the main stage show with Joe and I was fascinated by the Stan Boris, you know, just like, and I don't really remember what ended up happening. I mean, he did the, he did the show. I don't remember how much pushback, you know, he, he had, but, uh, I wanted to be in a play called lock up your daughters, which actually was a musical that Betsy Hamilton directed. And so, like many others on your podcast, I went to her office to ask her why the F-U-C-K, she did not cast me when I was the best. Was it a musical? Wait, was it a musical? It was a musical. It was a musical. Right. Okay. Musical. And she told me that, and, and this is where the kind of the methodology of the schools kind of effed up, right? That I was the best one and that I was the most appropriate. And the reason I didn't get it was because the other girl needed it more than me, needed the experience, needed the it's like, well, I'm in school too. I need it too. And, and she was a girl in the woman, not a girl. We're not girls, women. She was in the master's program of the uh, first year. And this was before they did, you kind of had to wait till your second or third quarter in the master's. This was like first quarter of, of her, you know, being able to, to do anything at our school. And nobody really knew this person. Like, who is she? Hmm. Why is she? Yeah. And Betsy, who I loved, who I knew was my champion because I was also the first casting I got was my best casting. I was in working. I got to meet Studs Terkel. I got to sing with Patti Lapone. She came to our gala and sang, I hear America singing with us. 
and I held her hand. Somehow I ended up being right by her. And we did like the curtain call of the gala with Patti LaPone singing that song. Oh my God. Oh my God. I know I was more famous when I was 18 than I am now. That thing that you're describing of um, they gave it to this person for, you know, unnamed pedagogical reasons. I wonder about that so much because if you think about it, if you really tried to break it down, it's so subjective. Like you're telling me, you know what a person, I don't know. There's something that seems so like chutzpah about that, that you would say, I know what this person needs yeah. and they, it, that's and what they I always know that. Do. It's almost like a, it seems almost like a lie to make me feel better but I also know Betsy didn't really no, lie. I she, bet she totally well, you know. wholeheartedly believed that I, I, I think look I think adults I mean we were young adults but I think older adults often wholeheartedly believe the shit they're saying to young people. And, and that's what makes it so hard is I think that she really believed that that for whatever reason, that woman needed that part more. And, uh, yeah, there's just no actual and real I explanation. That, I would have to go back and look, but I think that was the last quarter. So I think that's when all my girlfriends and I decided to do that. I mean, that show, I mean, it was Chrissy Hall, Lisa Kelly, Wendy Schemberg. I'm trying to remember if I can remember everybody. I can't remember everybody that was in it. Are you still in touch with those people? Um, some of them, not all of them. When Lisa Kelly passed away, whenever that was now, four or five, six years ago, uh, we had a memorial for her at DePaul and a lot of them came back for that. And I saw them then. Uh, I also have stayed in contact with Deborah King, who was the, the, young whore and that old whore, young whore thing. Uh, she was one of my roommates. She ended up, she, she lives in Washington state. She's like a, a yoga teacher for trauma. She's amazing. And she does stuff online now. So her and I have kind of caught back up. She's the one that I went to Alaska with. So in between my freshman and sophomore year, another girl in my class, Julianne Leakty, had already worked at this small theater in Skagway, Alaska. And she's like, they need two other girls. You guys should come with me. And we, I actually think we made like a VHS tape of us or something and send it to them to audition. And we got cast and then we had to leave school two weeks early. And it was this whole thing where we had to do our yeah. final scene in David yeah. Abkali's class early. They had to agree to let us go early. Um, and I don't know how we got them to do it, but they, they, they let us go. And, and we went to Alaska for the summer and did a can-can historical show about the gold rush. My name was Squirrel Tooth Alice. We lived in an old whorehouse that had red velvet wallpaper. It was the most astonishing thing I'd ever done. And I thought my whole life was going to be traveling the world, seeing new places, doing plays. Uh-huh. Right. Because that was what I was doing when I was in between my freshman and sophomore year. Um, but it was an incredible experience. And it was all because this this girl, Julianne Lichty, who was my roommate, had had uh, she was from Provo, Utah, and somehow there was a lot of actors from Provo, Utah, doing this show in Skagway, Alaska, and they just happened to need two more girls, and so we got holy it. shit. That's such a so these two girls that I lived with in college uh, also then well we lived in the dorms and then after we came back from Alaska we lived together for the whole last three years on the corner of Sheffield and Belden in this two bedroom where there was two people in one two people in one and one person in the sunroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
that whole thing about how you imagined you'd be doing that for the rest of your life. So many things that happen to us at a young age, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, if this is happening to me, this is how it will always happen. Yes. This is how it is when you're a professional working actor. This is how it is. You didn't return to Alaska the following summer though. No, I can't remember if it was an an option or if, we just decided to to not go. I don't remember why. Um, I worked at Cafe Roma, and I was in the band Ominous. Oh Land. my gosh! <laughs> I mean, we we have to wrap up, but I want to say, like, what do you what do you what are your dreams now? Like, what's happening now? Well, I've I've written a feature length film that I'm trying to get made, and um, if anybody out there and podcast land wants to be a producer or have some funds for that uh i'm also writing what i call a book okay (laughs) it is um an anti-memoir memoir and it is based on the five non-speaking roles i played in my first show at chicago shakespeare in 2000 where I was both the understudy for Gonorrheal and Regan and knew both of their parts. And at one point had been in the costume for Gonorrheal. And then she showed up and they made me take it off and give it back to her. I was supposed to go on for Regan the last two weeks, but then there was a stagehand strike and she didn't end up having to go to do her next show. So she didn't end up leaving. So I never went on in either role, but they at Chicago Shakespeare, they would put your, um, they would tape your, character name and masking tape on your mirror so you knew when you went in your dressing room which dressing room was yours and I walked in and it said lady slut servant soldier and that's the name of my memoir oh, I love it brilliant I love it. I love it why is it an anti-memoir what does that mean an yeah anti-memoir you don't I don't know I'm, I'm finding oh. it out I, because because I'm so I'm so adverse to believing that I could possibly write a book or that my story matters or that anybody would care that it's my, it's probably like a defense. It's also, you know, like I was saying uh, to one of my writing partners, friends that, that I, I have to stop calling it a book because it's just too much, you know, like what it's just some words on pages and together in in order, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because yeah, I, I mean, I might not ever get it published or it might, nobody might, ever read it but, but that I doesn't like change I, it being a book if it doesn't get published. i need to do it for for me yeah. please so please. i've been writing it for a long time i i have another section of it that's called how to cry in public tales of a hyper empath um and that was a performance piece but now i'm realizing that like a lot of the performance pieces i've done uh and storytelling things that i've done as performative pieces can now be drawn sure. back into the book yeah. I love it. I love it. And I also want to move to LA and try to get a manager and, and do it for Woo-hoo! reals. Cause I always said when I am in the uh, five Oh five Oh category, which I am now that that's when it was going to really hit big for me. And you know, Ann Dowd, that's what she thought too. She was about my, she was, you know, walking down the street and saw Elizabeth Perkins name on the, on the marquee, who was her classmate and was like, why is that not me? Why am I going to waitress? Oh, you know why? Because when I'm 50, it's going to happen for me. And that's exactly Woo! what happened to me. 
I, I love, love that. that. You gotta get her. You gotta, you gotta get her on here. I, well, I've tried. Also, I've Sharon Godfrey. You were talking about Sharon Godfrey. She's in Brazil. You can find her on LinkedIn. Get her on here. I tried yeah, my we, hardest to to get yeah. Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd or her um, people. If they're listening, please, we Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd. You're saving my life right now. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you. <laughs>